Election College episode 178, The Life and Times of Martin Van Buren, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, when it comes to nicknames, we call him Marty. They called him Little Van. They called him the Little Magician. I'm just going to stick with Marty. He (laughs) was doing all kinds of crazy things by the time he was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1821. And what I mean by crazy things is he had this idea that if you got a bunch of bosses like they have in New York and you spread this concept over across the country, you could have a national party that's pretty powerful. And that's what we see happening to Marty as he becomes a national politician in his own right. He is the quintessential I am going to play it very smart, and I'm going to align myself (laughs) with just the right people. Yeah, and that's highlighted pretty well in the election of 1824, the presidential election of 1824, because Marty supports this guy, uh, William H. Crawford. You might have heard of him. And actually also, at the same time, gets the votes from Georgia, the electoral votes of Georgia for the vice presidents. And... None of the candidates during that election actually got a majority of electoral college votes. So this is one of those elections where the, uh, one of those very few elections where the choice does fall to the U.S. House of Representatives and the House has to choose. So Henry Clay gets knocked off and Van Buren's like, well, I hope John Quincy Adams doesn't win uh, because, you know, New York won't go there. But... New York ends up going to Adams. Adams wins. He appoints Clay as Secretary of State. It's like, it's basically like uh, Marty's worst nightmare coming true. And we fast forward a little bit, and uh, Van Buren just kind of keeps out of all the controversy that happens during this time. He he starts looking forward to 1828, and uh, he switches his support from William H. Crawford uh, over to Andrew Jackson who wins the popular vote in 1824. And, well, he's putting himself on a good path, at least for himself, uh, as things should go. He's a nice guy, so he doesn't really show any bitterness towards Adams, or Henry Clay, for that matter. He even helped Henry Clay get in as Secretary of State, even though there's all these charges about things being corrupt bargains and stuff like that. But... There are other parts where he disagrees with them politically, so he opposes them, as politicians should do when they disagree with something politically. So we start to see how smart of a politician Marty can be, and, well, I wouldn't want to cross him, probably, if I were you. Right. I mean, anybody who can ally himself with Andy Jack and actually be appointed kind of as your successor, jumping a little bit ahead, you know something's going on. Mm-hmm. So he really throws himself behind Andy Jack for the 1828 election, and he's rewarded 
because, of course, Andrew Jackson wins. And on March the 5th of 1829, the newly elected governor of New York, Martin Van Buren, that happened in January, becomes the U.S. Secretary of State in March. So, yeah, he was only governor for like a month and a half. (laughs) But Van Buren is now the Secretary of State. Keep in mind, Andy Jack's first term, this is a pretty big deal because the cabinet, they just don't get along with each other. There's a lot of compromises that had happened to get into the Jackson administration. He was trying to pick all of these varying points of view to be represented in his cabinet, which is noble, but it was a disaster because you had John C. Calhoun, you had uh, the Eatons involved, and, well, let's just put it this way, the Petticoat Affair happened. We've done a couple of episodes about this awkward, crazy cabinet that essentially gets fired. Everybody gets fired, (laughs) including Marty, just because he's like, hey, Andy Jack, I know we're friends. Go ahead. Let me quit. Andy Jack's like, sure. Why not? You go and serve as the minister to the court of St. James, you know, kind of like the ambassador to Great Britain. (laughs) Go do that. We're buddies. I'm going to take care of you, Marty, because Marty really didn't care too much about what was going on with the whole petticoat affair because he's he's single. So he gets over to Britain, and he's the minister to the court of St. James, and he's like, okay, this is going pretty well. People like me here. And then he gets a letter that's like, hey, your nomination got rejected by the Senate. <laughs> Oops. So, whoops. And uh, it turns out this is actually Calhoun's work. Uh, Calhoun had got everything rejected. He opposes Van Buren's confirmation and says, basically, I think he attempted to keep me from becoming vice president. And he colluded with Henry Clay and William H. Crawford and all that kind of good stuff. So I oppose him. And also uh, the whole petticoat affair and some other stuff too. He's probably wrapped up somewhere bad in that as well. So... They vote, and Van Buren's nomination is voted on, and a lot of people didn't vote, just so they could give a tie. And uh, they wanted Calhoun to be able to get a vote, because he is the president of the Senate, and he votes against Van Buren. And Calhoun is actually really excited, because, hey, he's pretty certain he's ended Van Buren's career here. He says... It will kill him dead, sir. Kill him dead. He will never kick, sir. Never kick. He he didn't like old Marty very much. Man, John C. Calhoun and Andy Jack in a fight. Who wins? Definitely Andy Jack. I mean, wow, what a rough time. <laughs> it's amazing that these guys didn't just brawl. I mean, are you talking like a fist fight or what? Yeah. Yeah, a fist fight, I think Andy Jack has almost any contemporary. Yeah, I mean, Calhoun, I guess Calhoun kind of just, if he didn't like something, he kind of picked up his toys and went home and then came back. But anyway, so many were thinking, wow, John C. Calhoun, 
you really did him in. And others are thinking, whoa, John C. Calhoun has just created the perfect environment for Marty to become vice president. And that is exactly what happens in 1832. Andy Jack selects Martin Van Buren to run alongside him. And in 1832, they win by a landslide, and Van Buren is the vice president in 1833. So Van Buren and Andy Jack, they are confidants. Van Buren is accompanying Jackson on um, his tour of the northeastern United States, and Jackson trusts him, and he appoints a couple of Van Buren's allies to serve, uh, namely Benjamin F. Butler, who becomes the Attorney General, and John Forsyth, who becomes the Secretary of State. So Van Buren was still kind of getting, you know, people were coming after him still, especially now that he's the Vice President. And uh, there, there are some different issues that come up, and one of them is with regard to the National Bank issue. And we discussed those on the podcast last week. Uh, one time, Van Buren, you know, he's he's providing a, presiding over the Senate, and Henry Clay's there speaking pretty passionately about how he thinks the bank policy is a bad bank policy. And he looks at Van Buren and says, rhetorically, of course, well, would you approach Jackson and persuade him to change his mind? You know, of course, Van Buren didn't respond to that, but once Clay's done with his speech, he... Van Buren gets up and goes down and asks Clay if he can borrow a pinch of snuff. And Henry Clay's like, what? What? And he hands him his, his snuff box. Van Buren takes some snuff, takes a bow, <laughs> and leaves. And <laughs> this is just kind of his way of saying, you didn't intimidate me, and I'm not planning on having beef with you, so get over it. I think there's something in psychology, isn't there, that says the way you get somebody to like you is to have them do something for you. So like Ben, say you don't like huh. me, and I come up to you and say, hey, Ben, can you help me? You're going to be like, hey, I like you now. I like Thanks. you, Jason. That's a weird theory, but it probably makes sense. It endears people to you, I guess. Because we like to be helpful, we humans. Some of us. Some of us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, in 1836... Andy Jack is like, I'm going back to the Hermitage. I'm going to hang out there. And Van Buren is selected as his successor. And, I mean, this was 18 months before the election when the Democratic Convention meets and says, okay, Marty's our guy. And there were a couple of guys put forward as uh, running mates. So Van Buren is a quintessential politician. He's doing all he can to form national alliances. And if you're thinking early Democratic Party, you're thinking of how in the world are we going to get Northerners and Southerners to agree? And the big issue at the time, of course, was slavery. And Van Buren sought to get Southern support by assuring them that he opposed abolitionism and supported the maintaining of slavery in states where it already existed. And Marty said that he opposed rechartering a national bank, and he 
said, oh, and about the whole slavery thing, again, let's have a bill that subjects abolitionist mail to state laws, ensuring that it will not be circulated in the South. He's playing both ends of the deal here. Now, Martin Van Buren's competitors were members of the newly established Whig Party, and they were pretty much just saying, hey, Andy Jack wasn't that great. This is a continuation of Andy Jack's policies. Vote for us. And the candidates were Hugh White from Tennessee, Daniel Webster of Massachusetts, and William Henry Harrison from Indiana. So the Whigs nominate Francis Granger and John Tyler as president and vice president. Uh, Richard Johnson, who is Van Buren, Marty, is his running mate. He was a hero of the War of 1812. He claimed to have killed Tecumseh at the Battle of the Thames. And if you remember, William Henry Harrison was campaigning for the presidency as the hero of Tippecanoe. And so you could imagine that Richard Johnson uh, would have had to kind of counter that. So he did. And uh, Van Buren, long story short, Van Buren ends up winning the election. Uh, He gets 50.9% of the total popular votes and 170 electoral votes. So Harrison did come up right behind him with 73 electoral votes uh, and some others got a few as well. So there wasn't enough, however, for the vice president. It wasn't lopsided enough for the vice president to be uh, elected. So the U.S. Senate gets together, decides, and Johnson wins the vote, becomes the nation's ninth vice president under Van Buren. So I guess Calhoun was wrong. Van Buren's political career was not about to be over. It was about to be catapulted to the top. Yeah. But there's a problem, Jason. Van Buren doesn't have a wife. Yeah, because his wife died years ago. And what ends up happening is his son, Abraham, uh, his wife, Angelica, becomes the hostess. And she was distantly related to Dolly Madison. And Dolly had moved back to Washington after James passed away. And so what ends up happening is Angelica becomes an awesome hostess and serves in that role uh, that the first lady normally would have. And they had all kinds of nice parties and the atmosphere around the White House was great. So Dolly Madison. She makes a cameo role in the in the Van Buren administration. <laughs> this is not the first or the last time that someone who is not the president's wife takes upon the role of first lady. So uh, that might be an interesting topic at some point. But yeah, there were, like, actually right before him, Andy Jack had somebody be his first lady who was not his wife. Yeah. Yeah, we should do an episode on that. So even though... A couple of months into Van Buren's presidency, banks begin to, well, run out of money. And it creates a financial crisis known as the Panic of 1837. Uh, this throws the country into a five-year depression. And Van Buren gets a lot of the blame for it, even though you could say that the policies that were implemented before he had even run for president uh, were the cause. But 
yeah, that panic of 1837 did not bode well for any hope of him being reelected. Also, he was supportive of Jackson's Indian Removal Acts. This is just dreadful, but uh, during the Cherokee removal, uh, we know it as the Trail of Tears, some 20,000 people were relocated against their will. Yeah, so Van Buren gets the renomination for a second term, but because of the things Jason just mentioned and a few others as well, uh, it was going to be a hard election in 1840. And uh, again, they're up against William Henry Harrison, and they don't make it. Uh, Van Buren is optimistic until about October of that year, but he becomes pretty sure pretty quickly that he's not going to defeat Harrison. And 80% of people who are eligible to vote show up to the polls, and Harrison wins. Well, actually, the popular vote, not that big of a margin, but the electoral vote, a huge margin, 234 to 60. So we covered this in excess in the past for sure. Van Buren serves as one term, and he's done. Yeah. So Van Buren goes back to Kinderhook, New York, and he thinks that he might try another run at the White House. But the Democrats were not necessarily for this because Van Buren opposed the annexation of Texas, and the Democrats were very much in support, especially the Southern Democrats, I should uh, preface that with, the Southern Democrats were very much wanting Texas to be admitted to the Union because that would uh, allow another slave state to enter. And Van Buren continues to be anti-slavery in the upcoming years. Uh, He does support, in subsequent elections, Democratic candidates, including Stephen Douglas in the election of 1860, although shortly after Lincoln was elected in 1860 and the Civil War begins, Van Buren does express his support for the Union and his support for Abraham Lincoln. Van Buren starts to decline in his health in 1861, and during the fall and winter of 1861 and 1862, he's bedridden with pneumonia, and he doesn't recover. He dies of uh, bronchial asthma and heart failure in Kinderhook on July 24th, 1862, at the age of 79 years old. And uh, he's buried at the Kinderhook Reformed Dutch Church Cemetery, uh, along with his wife, Hannah, his parents, and his son, Marty Jr. Yeah. If you go around the country, you're going to run into a lot of different places that are named after Martin Van Buren. But get this, Ben. If you go to Indiana, there are like 800 counties that have Van Buren townships. (laughs) Just look it up and you'll see. There's There's a lot of them. There's not 800, but I mean, if there's three, there might as well be 800. I can imagine that'd be confusing if any of them are close together. Yeah, or if the high schools are named after them or anything like that, <laughs> which is probably not yeah. the case. Probably not. Hopefully not. Oh, one more thing that's interesting, Jason. Uh, they think that perhaps the expression okay, as in like, yeah, that's fine, or sure, or whatever, 
uh, the expression okay comes from Marty. So there is some dispute, but in 1839, there is talk that Van Buren was known as Old Kinderhook. And you would abbreviate that okay. And there is a story out there that says that okay might mean Old Kinderhook, as in Martin Van Buren. Yet another nickname and another story that we can all try to get behind or disprove. This one's going to be a good one for you around the Easter dinner table or whatever you you do <laughs> at Easter. Uh, d- just remind all your family and friends this exciting story that you have that OK actually is derived from Marty Van Buren. And they'll all look at you and say, where do you get this stuff? And then go back to their food. Yeah. That's what, that's what my family does to me. Not me, Ben. Well, not you, but other parts of our family do that to us. <laughs> do. I don't understand yeah. it. How did we get to be so awesome? Well, I think it's just it's just natural somehow. <laughs> hey, you know what's natural? What's a that? natural outpouring of love to Election College would be to head over to our Patreon page. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash election college or electioncollege.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's a way that you can monetarily help support the podcast. If you gave us a dollar every month, that would be like spending 11 cents per episode. That might not seem like a whole lot of money, and it isn't, but it does add up, and it helps us offset many of the costs to put this podcast together. We would be more than thrilled if you'd head over to iTunes, whether you use iTunes or not, and subscribe to the show or rate of it, and definitely if you reviewed it. That comes through, kicks us an email right away. We see every single last review, and we really enjoy that. We appreciate that you appreciate us and love knowing that we make a difference in your day, no matter how big or how small it is. And of course, we do enjoy interacting with each and almost every one of you on one of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Election College. We hope to see you on the internet. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.